What's going on, everybody? Four Corners, episode 10. It is back to a quartet, starting off with our producer, the guy who stirs the drink. Jarrett, how you doing? Doing all right, Ray. You feeling feeling a little uh, jump-started after that game? Basque? For you, I, at least. I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> sir. Uh, okay. Okay. This is a basketball uh, podcast, sir. Yeah, there's basketball <laughs> happening this week. I don't know. I don't know what you mean. Uh, okay. Well, that chiming in was uh, Peter Buckets since '88. How have you been? Good. Uh, we're here. I just saw a game finish. The Nets and Lakers B team. So basketball is back. <laughs> basketball. Yes. Yes. And joining us as our guest, the fourth corner, Zach Gottlieb. How you doing? I'm doing great. Rough football game, but like we said, basketball is back. We're ready yeah. to go. I'm excited. This is it. We're walking up to the starting blocks. Yeah. So, yeah, speaking of starting blocks, uh, the first thing we usually want to get into, Zach, being a guest and uh, our audience mostly being unfamiliar with you, maybe you'll be here in future episodes. But uh, tell us about your sort of origin story as a Nuggets fan. All right. So as a Nuggets fan, I mean, I grew up in Colorado. I was born here. Okay. I lived here my whole life, so... I'm all Denver sports do you have, guy. Do you have the license plate? Or not the license plate, the bumper sticker? Not yet. I'm working okay. on it. I'm working okay. on for those, it. For those that don't know, if you move to Denver, you are not allowed to get this bumper sticker that proves <laughs> without doubt that you are one of the elite, the locals, the people who were already here. But yeah, got, go ahead. I do got two stickers on my bumper. One's a Bigfoot. Another one's Baby Yoda, Grogu with Colorado flag in it. So I feel pretty cool about that. Nice, but nice. I'll see. But as a Nuggets fan, I mean, my first memories were Mello and Mello and Iverson. Okay. So those, that's that's my era of young basketball. Fun as times. far as, oh yeah, those two were awesome together. Let me tell you, it wasn't AI's prime, but like it was still super fun. So then, were you? Did you follow basketball when Mello was drafted? No, I was born in 01. I'm a young one. I'm still 19. So. Okay. Mellow being drafted like right at the beginning of it. I got still most of that early mellow, the cornrows mellow. Yeah. Did you have mellow? Did you have early mellow versus LeBron takes? I'm such a biased Nuggets fan. Yeah, mellow is better. But <laughs> of course, I, mean, I still Definitely. look back on it and I'm like, mellow ah, words should have won rookie of the year. Um, More talented offensive player was was my firm mm-hmm. belief for a long time. Oh, uh, yeah. at the very he least. was more clutch for a while though. That yeah. was is kind of in it. It took LeBron um, years for that, man. Like, that took a yeah. bit to the Heat. That was like second year at the Heat where he really became that clutch guy. Right. Yeah, Mel was had a, he, he was on like the top five most game winners list, like his first decade in the league. Mm-hmm. Right. Where LeBron took a long time for him to like learn to be the shooter that he is today. Yeah. Uh, not to say yeah, that and, he's like the elite of the elite, but he's pretty damn good. But that wasn't yeah, and, him coming into the league. Also, the thing about the Heat was like, yeah, they made a super team, but LeBron needed it to be successful and to really grow into a winner was being with Dwayne Wade. Because Dwayne Wade had already won. So learning how to win from Dwayne on the same floor, I think that's what really made LeBron the guy who dragged a team to the finals. I had no right to be to the finals. Dragged For a sure. team to win 3-1. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah, think it all started Yeah, he was definitely a great player, but getting to the finals and then playing with Dwayne really kind of let him hit that next breakthrough because yep. I think he needed one more just piece of adversity there to, I guess, kind of get over the hump. 
Mm-hmm. I also consider it more of an indictment on Cleveland as a franchise than anything. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he definitely won with a super team in Miami, but I feel like he could have, maybe he could have won with two stars. Well, yeah, that was one of those situations where they just kept making those short-sighted trades, right? Like you trade right. draft picks to get win-now guys that aren't really good anymore, like Antoine Jameson. And we saw the Pelicans right. do the same thing with Davis, and now they're like doing the same thing with Zion. It's really shocking. I mean, if you look at the history of teams making, I mean, look at the uh, the Nets trade with the Knicks, and how you know it looks great in the headlines and in the boardroom, and say we can, oh, we did this thing. Oh, with the Celtics. Really, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, sorry. Yeah. Uh, with the <laughs> Nets moving to Brooklyn and um, getting the you know their own big three. <laughs> To kind of you know ratchet up in this arms race, and as it turns out, you bankrupt your franchise for oh yeah, a good number of years. Pierce and uh, Garnett were already ancient, <laughs> big, three. which is almost immediate. But um, <laughs> yeah. sorry, to, sorry to I'm getting us off track. So <laughs> Zach, how did you feel transitioning into the Brian Shaw era? Upset. I mean, that went from George Carl and Masai Ujiri to Brian Shaw. And I felt like, I mean, after five games, you're just like... Was it day one, though? This is not going to go well. I wasn't super analytical. I was like, I want to have hope, but yeah, no. I didn't. I was not a fan of the whole situation. I, I like, only knew him we need something from this. I only knew him from the step over, so... Yeah. I was like, I was more excited about <laughs> Melvin Hunt than I was Brian Schultz. Yo, me too. I don't know why Ray <laughs> loves reliving this this era so much. I like to skip right over it. I was gonna ask, what do you have any great fond memories of the Mellow era or any games you went to? I mean, there's always that big Mellow game where he goes up t- shot for shot with LeBron. There's the Western Conference Finals in 09 going shot for shot with Kobe in Game Two. I one of my favorite highlights that still just shows up on Instagram and Twitter all the time is that one where he intercepts the pass against the Jazz and then dunks on a dude. I was, I love that one. I mean, so much of Mellow is just exciting because he was Mellow. You know, he had a star in Denver, and he was cool. He was. So, yeah. I mean, that whole thing up until the trade, up until the trade, a lot of it was like, "This is my guy." You know, he yeah. brings my Nuggets relevance. And yeah, I mean, the '09 Western Conference Finals. I think that game two, where he's going up with it against Kobe, Denver was down at the half. That that was a big one. For sure. I still think we should have won that series if we could have just gotten one inbounds playing game one. Mm, yeah, so close. it's tough. I mean, I, I will admit the hard part about that, that whole era for me is like a lot of um, disappointment <laughs> at the in the end, in the end where you feel like with this era, I'm, I still have this faith that the Nuggets are going to win a championship, maybe even more than one. And it's hard. To, to feel like you know how I felt back then and to know that oh this is how it went uh and to transition into that phase I think the Brian Shaw era is like it's not exciting I don't like talking about it but who does uh it's more that I kind of have some admiration for people who are like people who stick it out you know all 12 fans who would come on Wednesday night games uh <laughs> Oh, man, those are so the real empty. ones. Those are the real ones. I mean, it was even quiet on weekends, man. Yeah, like, it really that was. was. Not a it popping was... stadium when you go on a Friday night. Yeah, you could go on a Friday night for like fifteen bucks. 
I went to and a lot of those. <laughs> and you had seats around you. It was straight up social distancing, like right back in 2011. You're like, why? Yes. So you know you want to watch JJ Hicks and play center. Oh yeah, baby, that's my guy. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> so um, that was a dark time. Good thing it's now. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're in a different era. How early were you? um on for example you know when did you feel like this team would be good like this era of nuggets yeah when did you feel like you know we might actually have something i I said about two weeks after we made nicole Jokic the starter i was i was talking to one of my buddies yeah i was talking Mm -hmm. to one of my buddies and he was like this, this first game after Yoke started his first game, he's like, "I'm buying a Jokic jersey." Like, all right, give it a, give it a couple weeks. You know, let's let's see where this goes. And then after that, I'm like, "You know what? You were right. I could have been on this train two weeks ago." You could have. Yeah, I blew it. But that was really it. it was like just watching Nikola. You know, I was like, "Yeah, man, this guy has got something." Yeah, he's fat and out of shape, but like, he's got <laughs> he's something fun. there. He made <laughs> he made the Nuggets guy game. Yeah. Yeah, we had he, he fun watching basketball. Mm-hmm. For, you know, thing was like, it was exciting watching those 2013 Ty Lawson love Nuggets just gas teams. Yeah. But it was like, eh. then we got Yoke and it's like, okay, basketball's awesome. This is fun. And yeah. that was really it, was that. And then you get Jamal. You just started to see a plan come together. And it was really interesting to see how it all kind of came. Cool, cool. Uh, yeah, the one thing that I think about that era, f- comparing it to now, is I look at that sort of combo between Wilson Chandler and Gallinari, and how kind of flexible they were, and how it just made for a lot more creative, fun basketball to watch. I think that's something we might get to see again with Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon. Uh, speaking of that, there are games this week. So we've got three, the Clippers, the Warriors, and the Timberwolves. Uh, Peter, do one of these games stand out to you as maybe not must-watch, but something you might want to watch? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the first game against the Clippers, literally just because, you know, you got the itch of wanting to see your guys again. Yeah. Um, You know, obviously we can't take too much away from preseason. Um. So there's really only two things I'm looking for. Uh, number one is, are they actually going to run? Because that's what everybody's saying in camp, right? It's an interesting question. This is like, yeah. this is like in the top five NBA cliches, right? Every single team says this. How many teams actually implement this? Young teams run. Old teams are usually like, mm-hmm. all right, let's slow it down. So yeah, <laughs> it's me, me at the rec center. <laughs> do you think the Lakers yeah. are going to run them? Like, where do they fit in this whole? Oh, they will thing? for sure. Well, the Lakers <laughs> they have pick, to. So they yeah, cherry pick. Right. Um, but uh, you know, two points is two points. I'm not even gonna. I mean, I used to cherry pick. It. So hey, yeah, it, it's effective. Two points, the, the box score, the fast break, get two points to win. You know, I can tell. I can tell my parents when I come home later. It was a. It was a. You know, 18 foot fadeaway. They don't have to know it was a cherry pick. And then the other thing I'm looking for is. I do have my eyes on bowl in the preseason now because what I'm going to mm-hmm. look for is we all know he knows how to be aggressive, but what I want to look for is 
is he making the right play, right? Because did you guys notice the last couple of years, like one of the big things uh, that Michael Porter struggled with was just how fast the game was for him. Like he could still shoot, he could still rebound and dunk because he's just tall and a ridiculous athlete. But the game is slowly, you know, coming to him more and more. And with Bowl, it's going to be interesting to see, like, does he, you know, is he not a beat behind? Because that's what it seemed like always happened to him when he was on the court. It's not that he's stupid. It's just that in college, he dominated everybody. And now everybody's, Mm -hmm. you know, on his level or better. So he's got to be smarter. And, you know, if if what everybody's saying about him is true, I do think he has the skill set to be, you know, somewhat of an impactful player. I'm not saying he's going to crack the rotation, but I just want, I've got my eye on to see how he plays. Mm-hmm. Zach, are you interesting a conversation? Yeah, just are you a believer? I am, but I'm not. Like, okay, Bull is don't sound too disappointed, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's my thing. Uh, Bull yeah, is this know. unique kind of player where I'm like, he has the skill set to be awesome, and we've seen stuff where you're like, this guy's exciting. Summer league was really intriguing and really encouraging because you just saw engagement from him, which you don't, we haven't seen from him. But I also don't know what to do with him. Like, he's tall like a center. He's too skinny to be one, but he's like, he's the weight of a three and he's got some playmaking like he could be a two. Like, I don't really know what to do with him. Mm-hmm. But if he can be engaged and just show off some of those skill sets, he could be awesome. And I, no matter what he does, if he's on the floor, it's fun. It's enjoyable yeah. to just watch a guy seven foot three play basketball. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that take. Like, I don't know what the term is because he's not a tweener. It's like he's a six, right? Like, there's no position for him. It's just yeah. mm-hmm. you're really good at these certain things and then really bad at these other things. How do you play in the modern game? So, yeah, it was good to see that pep in his step at Summer League. But to me, he still had tunnel vision. It was like mm-hmm. he liked that situation because he knew he was going to get the ball. So how does he play right. a team construct is what I'm looking for. Yeah, that was the big thing is, like, he shot every time but we know but that's what was we, fun mm-hmm. go for it no I, I think he get he was an awkward person because i don't think he knows like i don't i don't know if i think it would help him a lot for example if he had like a just like a marker like a marker board of just like here this is what we want you to do we want you to like take pick and pop threes we want you to rebound we want you to try and block shots and just focus on those things because I, I think he because he is kind of as you say like he's a six he could be a three or a two or a center or a four he kind of exhibits traits of multiple positions he doesn't really have a clear identity as a player and it, he gets especially in situations like a g league or like summer league or anywhere you know he's so exciting at the same time and i, I kind of feel i feel like i contributed i was like this as well is that like you see him and you want him to like do a thing you know you want him to shoot you want him to try and dunk the basketball you want him to do something crazy and i think where there was no input uh maybe not no input because i don't know what the coaches are telling him or not telling him but where he has all these mixed mixed ideas of like who he is the one thing he can cling to and at the very least one criticism he knows he can solve is like oh he's passive or like oh he's you know he's not willing to like participate where he looks uh you know just being seven foot three you just look 
we you just look kind of it's like Boban. He looks weird when he moves around the court. Uh, where you know a five five guy, it looks like Faku's riding around really fast and working really hard. <laughs> where if you're seven foot three, maybe you're covering the same ground, but you just look more lethargic. He can solve that by shooting, and I think that's been his mo up until this point. Uh, so my hope for him is that he can kind of rein in some of his uh, just gain a clear identity like role in terms of what he can be. I'm hoping it's like the four or the five. Um, so Ray, it sounds I, I think, to me like what you want Malone to do is to simplify the game for him. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah, because I, I know what you mean because it's almost like he catches the ball beyond the three point arc and he gets mm-hmm. that thought in his head of like, Oh, I know I'm seven foot two, but I want to show everybody what I can do. And it's like, right. That was cool in high school. And it worked most of the time in college too, but that's not going to work now. It's fun you know, in summer league. Yeah. The, the game's so fast. So yeah, I think that's, I think it's the sad thing for bowl is that it's so painfully obvious when you're that big and you have that, mm-hmm. you know, those like weight flaws, I guess. Yeah. It's like his, his mistakes are glaring, right? Like somebody like a casual basketball fan can see when he struggles. But I think we have to be honest that a lot of players that first come to the NBA struggle with just playing differently because one, the spacing is different. And two, unless you're the best guy, you're not going to have the ball. So right. all these guys coming in, they played with the ball the whole time. The guys that figured out how to play without the ball, they stay in the NBA. And then you see other guys who probably have more talent. They end up not making it because they're like, well, I don't know how to set a screen or you know run off a pick and stand in the corner. So D'Angelo Russell, Michael, Porter. I think that's, yeah, but I think that's really good analysis, right? Cause it's like, if he can just catch the ball from the three point line and then realize, Oh, this is not where I'm supposed to be to make a play. I need to pass the ball and then, you know, go set a pick or cut to the basket. If he yeah. can learn how to do that, he could be productive. And he can still shoot threes. If he can shoot yeah. plenty of threes, I don't mind. You know, you catch one, you're open, you're seven foot three. The team could probably use spacing. If you can be that, that's probably good, especially considering he's trying to play the five where he's not necessarily the right weight to play the five. But if he can be a floor spacer, at the very least, you're not in the way in the same way that like a Steven Adams might be like both not a guy that you want posting up, but also not a guy who's spacing the floor for you. Not to not to subtweet the Pelicans, but. Oh. Well, and Steven Adams is a great example of a guy that knows his role, right? Good for rebounder, sure. good does. defender but he's not going to do stupid stuff out there and like shoot threes or try to cross guys up. Yeah. It just makes it awkward for like Zion. I'm thinking of where it's like, do you want Zion attacking the basket? Well, it's good. For the, I don't, I don't know. The Pelicans are in a yes, weird situation. Yes, I mean, that's why yeah. you traded Steven Adams though. Is, I think that's why they did it. It was like, okay, well you kind of have Zion to fill in that space in the middle. Valanciunas, mm-hmm. not a great perimeter guy, but he can space it a little bit more and he's a little more of a threat out there. Exactly. So I think it fits a little bit better. It's weird right. because I think Adams is better overall, but Valanciunas kind of fits more what they're trying to do. His game is more modern. Zion. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's definitely not yeah. a bad defender. Nah. You know, I think he's kind of biting this guy who's kind of sliding under the radar for a few years where he's just like really solid in a lot of aspects. Yeah, he's not like quick footed, but he's big. You need, you could use that. I mean, plenty if of teams Valanciunas would love to have. Wasn't, 
a starting caliber center. I'd love him as a backup for Jokic. Oh, yes. Love him. Yeah. I would I would trade bowl for, for Jonas Valanciunas. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, th- that's definitely a team I got my eye on this year. But, but Zach, what about you? What, uh, what Anything you're looking for these next preseason games? Yeah, so these first two, I think, are the big ones to look at. The first one is my interest of what's the team going to look like without Jokic? Malone's already mm-hmm. said he's not going to play on Monday. So what are what are they going to do? Because we need to prepare for this. I mean, they've said that load management on the table this year, and it, and it should be. So what is the offense going to do when he's not there? That's my big key. I know you're probably not going to play everyone. You're not going to do extensive minutes. But in those minutes where you would have Jokic in a lineup, what are you going to do? You know, what's the plan? And then, of course, I want to see Bones Highland against NBA players. But... <laughs> yes, let's go. Yes. <laughs> let's get busy. And then I think the second in the second game against the Warriors, I just want to see Stephen Clay. Honestly, I want to see oh. those two back on the floor. That's exciting to me. I don't think Clay's just back an yet. NBA fan. Is he not going to play? That sucks. Yeah, he's I think he's out until like Thanksgiving or a Christmas. Few. That's yeah, brutal. I was really excited about that one. But yeah. even still then, I mean, you can – I want to see lineup combinations. I want to see what they can do to mix, mess around a little bit. Mm-hmm. See what a PJ starting lineup could look like, Ooh. where it's not Will Barton. See where, I mean, I think because I think PJ is a Will Barton esque player just with defense. They both play like a, a little out of control. They have some turnovers. They can both shoot the three passably well. They can get to the basket, create their own shot, and are decent passers. Like I. I actually really dig a comp of P.J. Dozier and Will Barton. Just Dozier's a much higher upside defender. Do you think they could play together? I kind of do. I do. Just because they can create a lot off each other because they can create their own shots, but they can also create shots for others by being able to get into the lane as well as they do. So they can. You just need to have a kind of pecking order of who's going to do what and have a clear communication of, okay, this is what we're doing. I need to do this. You need to do that, and we can score. I don't know if it's the most efficient lineup, but I think it's one that could definitely work. I think I think with the starters, where you have you already have in Porter, you have Jokic, you have you know Will Barton, who's kind of he can kind of do what Jamal Murray does, maybe not to the same degree or the same level, but he has experience playing with Nikola. You know, you've got a lot of offense between those three already. And I think, you know, talking about simplifying the game for Bull, I think what would simplify the game for PJ, because there's kind of two realities for him, is there's something like this where he's playing next to guys who he knows he's not better than. And then there's the reality where he's playing with uh, Faku, Austin Rivers, Zeke Naji, or... Jamichael Green or Jeff Green, like on a ben- in a bench unit where there's not a lot of in kind of to your point about roster, com- sorry, lineup combinations, some clarity as far as how that bench can function um, would be really nice to see for me because I think it does create a lot of uncertainty where a guy like PJ, if he's in that unit, is like, am I the best player here offensively? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Let's see. I wouldn't hate that role for him, though, honestly. I think – so I like P.J. Dozier a lot, and I like Will Barton. I actually think their games are completely different because even though they both have point guard skills, 
I think PJ is a much more decisive player. He gets the ball and he attacks either the middle or, you know, to a pass or if he's open, mm-hmm. he'll shoot it. And I think Will is a lot more methodical and like holds the ball more and he dribbles a lot longer. The ball sticks more with him. But I also think Will thrives a little better in the chaos. You know, he's played with these guys longer. He's been in the NBA longer. I think PJ is kind of one of those guys where if plan A doesn't work, he kind of gets stuck. And that's sometimes where you see him take really tough shots or, you know, the offense just stagnates. Where but, PJ composure just goes back to PJ Dozier. And yeah. Just, mm. Yeah. So the, the only lineup I really don't like is when PJ plays with Austin together, because then I, I mean, I'm sorry, when Will plays with Pete with Austin, because then I feel like you have two guys that hold the ball too long and Malone likes the ball to move. And, so do I. I like the me too. Yeah. That's and for that, sure. This whole thing's interesting because Jamal losing Jamal is such a huge piece to this because you're like, man. Like, how do you make up for not only his volatility to just score 40 and a quarter if he really wanted to? I like how do you come up with that? But it's also what do you run an offense through right now? Because Will's your best bet with Yoke. He also seems like he has a limited upside as far as what he can really do for this offense and this team as a starter. So it's an interesting conversation just because you're like, we know what Jamal can do, and it's really, really good. How do you make up for it? It could be ugly. There could be some rough stretches. I'm pretty confident. You know, I, I think Aaron Gordon's going to look better. I think Michael Porter's going to look better. That makes up for, like, some of it to the extent that I'm assuming Will Barton is starting. I think between the three of them, you, you're going to be – you know, I guess it's just a regular season thing, of course, but I think you'll be top five in the league in terms of offense. I think it's pretty much a lock. Whether it's like uh, top, fifth or first, I think is going to be an interesting because I think they could be, you know, one or two, but they could slide back. Like if, have you say, it starts to look a bit uglier than we expect. Yeah, I think it's uh, an adjustment where you're like, I don't. I don't know. Porter's development is going to be huge this year. He needs to show he can be a number two and show that he can hold on to a basketball because that was something that <laughs> did not happen in the playoffs. And I don't yeah. mean, it sounds like super blankety and judgmental, but you're watching, you're like, if this guy had even one, one thing in his bag, because right now his bag is zero. If you had one thing in his bag as a scorer other than just pull up and shoot because you're six foot ten, he could be awesome, even as a number two guy. I should, like one signature move, one signature move, yeah. and you're gonna be a lot better. I totally agree with you, Zach. Because the thing that bothers me so much about basketball players is like they might they watch the best guys like Curry and Harden, and they're like, "Oh, I got to do that." It's like, no, you can't dribble at all. You just need to become good for a score level of dribbling. Like if you can just dribble like DeMar DeRozan or Carmelo, you're going to score 25 points a game in your mm-hmm. sleep. Mm-hmm. So I, all the videos are cool and stuff, but obviously that's against no defense. I just want him to get better at like the catch, quick go, one, two dribbles, pull up or get to the rack. This guy should yeah. be averaging five to six three free throws a game, not the two point whatever he averaged. So that's the number I'm really got my – on this year, and that'll that's what's going to increase his points per game because free throw I attempts. I mean, he's already such a good three point shooter. I don't really see that being able to go up much. I think he could be more 
it sounds weird. I think he could be more comfortable. Or, you know, of course, I think he's as good, or if not better, as a shooter. He was he could put up 30 on any given night, right? And I think that's always been true. Can he put up 20 every night? Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, absolutely. The guy scored 20 points in the first quarter of a playoff game. Yeah. Yeah, and they weren't even they weren't even running the offense through him. Like that's how talented this dude is. Yeah, I think he's been working on it. Where you know, I don't need like as you're saying, I don't need him to have a triple crossover behind the back step back combination. You mean you don't have that in your bag? Um, (laughs) we we haven't played yet. You you, you don't know. But the thing you gotta say is like, okay, your closeout's coming at you hard. All right, attack the closeout. Okay, help comes from that weak side. One dribble, two dribble, pull up, shoot. He doesn't. He didn't even do that. Like it's right, yeah. things. Or if he adds that, just as a little fifteen footer from the corner, just on that baseline. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think it's it's strength with the ball. It's like, can mm-hmm. you play through contact when people face it with physicality? Can you kind of take that back? You don't need to break anyone's ankles. You just need to be, you know, maintain control of the ball, basically, and have the strength to do that. Uh, and I think he's working on it. Yeah, I trust him more than I think a lot of players as someone who's, you know, he's probably in the gym right now. I don't know, 50-50 on him being in the gym or <laughs> making a podcast. But um, <laughs> I think he works a lot. You we know, support both of those things. As we, we, we certainly do. Curious about uh, good entertainment value. I think he works a lot on his game, more more than a lot of players in the league. So I feel i feel pretty confident that that he can at least show signs of solving these issues to to an extent that i think we're going to be okay offensively Mm -hmm. especially with a starting unit uh my question is more like what does the bench look like and what do they do okay this is where i'm so intrigued by bones highland because Mm -hmm. bones adds scoring to a lineup that desperately needs a scorer You've got guys like yeah. DJ who can score. You've got a guy like Faku who's a great facilitator, who I think is going to take a little more of a – who could score a little bit and like try a little bit more, but he's a really good facilitator. You've got PJ who creates some chaos, and then you've got the Greens who can shoot a little bit. They're physical inside, but you don't have a scorer. And this is where I'm really intrigued to see Bones because mm-hmm. I know he's going to spend a lot of time in the G League, and I, he should. Like man, the idea of him on that lineup is really, really intriguing, just because it fills a hole that they desperately have, need to fill. Especially I would love to see it. I would love to see. I would love to see Bones running some backup one, with mm-hmm. maybe like, you know, put him next to Austin or PJ. I'm definitely afraid of Bones and Faku at the four at the same time. That just no. that's tiny. Size, <laughs> We're yeah. gonna get murdered if we that's, do that. But that's your yeah. mini you know, lineup, though. You know Malone's gonna do it. Lads. We're gonna see a lineup oh, that's gonna gosh. have Faku, Bones, Austin, and PJ with like Jeff Green. See, that last sounds like year, a preseason lineup if I've, if I've ever seen. Last one. year, game one, <laughs> PJ Dozier played one, the one, two, three, and four. I'm like, okay, just play him at the five, and let's fill this out. Yeah. Like, now this year, it's on my bingo card that he's gonna play the five at some point. Because Turn I think Malone PJ just trusts him to do it. And I don't, it's you, not a good move, but I think Malone's going to do it because why not? <laughs> that's interesting. We do have a cup. We do have one new option with Peter. 
Peter Cornelay. He could be maybe, I don't know. I haven't seen him play extensively to the extent that I feel like I can judge him since that summer league stint, the second one where he looked worse than the first one somehow. (laughs) So I'm interested to see how that looks. Just who is he as a player? Can he actually shoot? Is he actually good at basketball now? (laughs) He's going to have to to really take advantage of uh, this short period before uh, the G League season starts. I think it's going to be huge for him. If he's showing good in practice, I think those 45 days he gets once the G League season starts could actually Mm -hmm. be meaningful for at least the days where they want to limit Jokic's minutes or or if he's up with the team that night and the team is up by 12 midway through the fourth, get him three minutes or something. And I think he gives options. Like, say Jokic is sitting. Right. You have two seven-footers, at least in name, (laughs) you can throw out there and say, hey, at least he's seven feet tall. Uh, Whether or not they play well, whether or not they fit together, it's going to be interesting. But at the same time, you know, they're both not looking like they'll be in the rotation on a regular basis, both Bull and Cornelie. So if – so – I have like a, uh, I have optimistic outcomes for the bench unit and a little bit more pessimistic ones. I'll start with the latter. Uh, Faku and Rivers coming off the bench together. I think it's tough for me to, it's not that I don't like either of them as an individual. And I know, you know, I've said a lot about both of the players, but I think when you have Faku on the floor, he works best with the ball in his hands. When you have Austin on the floor, he works best with the ball in his hands. And at the same time, neither of, well, we haven't seen Jeff Green, but I don't know that Jeff Green or Jermichael Green are the, you know, they set a screen, roll to the basket. Are you really concerned about that lob? Can they be vertical floor spacers as well as shooters? When they're out there, that would create room for Faku to be a little bit better at the rim or that would make things easier for Austin Rivers in terms of how he can create space and attack the basket. We're kind of, I don't, I don't want to say who plays the three doesn't matter, but if it's PJ or Zeke or Vladko or Bull, I think it doesn't really, at that point, you're looking at something that's really awkward in how that offense is going to function where uh, whoever's there, is just going to look, they're going to get a lot of hate. I can already say, that's that's my take. <laughs> but um, I would love to hear you guys' thoughts. I have a favorite bench lineup. So it does Let's involve wait Bones. Let's I, I, No, is this too right, early? Yeah, give me your lineup. I'm not giving you any more Austin Rivers take this podcast. Okay. <laughs> it's Bones. And Bowl Bowl. Ooh. It's Jamichael Green. Jeff Green. And Austin Rivers. Whoa, shocker. Not PJ. Wait, wait, wait. Not PJ. I think, well, I want to start PJ. in this world. Yeah. (laughs) I want to start PJ. Okay. And then you could could move down whoever's not, uh, whether it's Monte or Will, I think you can move them down to the bench. And I think they would both help this lineup wherever they fit in. But outside of that, like, top six, I guess – so to speak, when you don't want to have any of those guys out because, you know, you're up 30 points 
and you don't want to give up a 20 point lead. This is my line. All right. This is what so I would do. So your to. bench closers? Okay. Yeah, bench closers. You could you could say it like that. I, I mean, I, I think, think it's, it's the all best right, way I'll, to put it. I'll um, give you my bench my bench five now. Okay. No, I, I really like this group in my head, but this is probably just a cop-out because I think I just went best players available. I want Bones. I want Austin, PJ, and the Greens. That's my bench and five. And the Greens. You got shooting everywhere. Every well, yeah. everybody except Bones knows how to play defense. So, yeah. I just I he think can. Bones is like better than Faku already. I'm I haven't even seen him play a real NBA game, but uh, that's the feeling I get. I don't want to <laughs> insult Faku, but I like Faku as a third point guard. I think he's an elite third point guard. <laughs> <laughs> um, Zach, what do you think? Do you do you like Peter's lineup? Do you have one of your own? I like it. I'm a, I'm such a Faku guy though. That's my thing is oh, like, watching him guy. play. Okay. Also, I'm five foot seven, so I'm here for the Tiny you. Kings kind of people. I want I'm those guys. I feel your pain. <laughs> Thanks, but I'm yeah. just, so like I'm automatically a little biased. But I okay. I watched him when he's playing at Real Madrid, mm-hmm. and like when we first signed him, I watched a couple of those games because they're super easy to find, and I was really intrigued by him because I mean we watched in the Olympics. FIBA rules allow for a much more physical game. Mm-hmm. And Faku thrived in that. So we're do you think like, the rule the changes help him? Sorry, yes, do you think the rule change? Okay, oh, they will. So, no, go ahead. Yes no, that's a no. perfect transition. Yeah, yes and no. I think Faku does a lot of that kind of flopping stuff a little bit. Just because he is so small, he can get away <laughs> with it. So like yeah. when you just go into the basket, you get... He can, he can is it really a get flop? 15 re- 15 if he throws. just... Yeah. Yeah, is it really a flop? He just lets he's too small. <laughs> yeah, he lets he lets physics happen, and yeah, I think yeah, um, that's my but favorite thing about him though is that he irritates people. Like he irritates some of the superstars. Mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook almost punched him in the face. So yeah, here's what I mean. He when got I say, ejected like, in the preseason, man. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have Faku out on the floor for like ten minutes a night, mm-hmm. and you sit, you you like, you come to the table. Coach whispers in his ear, hey, I want you to harass the ever-loving shit out of this guy. I want him playing 96 feet the entire way, yeah. the entire time that he's in the game. And if he needs to come out for a minute or two, okay, that's fine. But that that kind of, I think, just has an impact, uh, especially in the regular season where, you know, people don't want to. Oh, yeah, give. nobody wants to try that hard. Yeah. yeah and I th- yeah. think that's, that's a good spot for him. Like, I don't think he needs to play 25 minutes a night or anything like that. I mean, 10 to 12 minutes, I don't have a problem with that. Because it allows it's for a much more quick punch for a guy who can right. be high effort, high energy, letting it just go in quick spurts like that. I, I like that kind of role for him. I think that's something that would work for him and help this team a lot. So you don't need him that yeah. way, but I love having him on the floor just because he is that kind of floor general. That's true. He's good with the ball in his hand, he's, and he's a good distributor. He's smart. You trust the, him. He's smart with the ball. Yeah, I trust him with the yeah. ball, and that's and he's going to make good decisions. He's a smart passer. He's an accurate one. So it's like. Is he going to be a great scorer? No, but he did shoot thirty-five percent from the three this time. So, right, you know, it's it's an it's added interesting. Bonus. It's I did, super up and down. Yeah, I did see that. I've seen that percentage, and I was kind of surprised once the season ended and I saw that. It's hard because I, that has to catch up with players too, mm-hmm. uh, where guys have to. Not only see, okay, he's Faku, 
he shoots thirty five percent, they have to be like, okay, I actually should cover him. And I'm wondering, so can he get? That's going to be more than more so than the numbers or even how many attempts he takes. Is like, do teams feel like they need to cover him? And that's not even. It's not data. It's just anecdotal. It's how you feel, almost, you know, because sometimes you you'll you're playing basketball and you, you'll let a guy shoot and okay, you hit one of them, you might brush it off. It's two or three, you know, or maybe even a couple nights ago he hit two or three. Yeah, maybe you take a, a couple steps out of the paint. Welcome back to Four Corners. In our final segment, we're going to be talking about the rule changes. Not necessarily rule changes, but adjustments in terms of refereeing that the league is going to be emphasizing this season. Peter, Zach, have you seen these uh, changes? Have you seen them? Been on Twitter? They have yeah. a few videos talking about them. Yeah. Briefly. So, I mean, I, I kind of get an idea of what they're talking about. Okay. So if you look so up the they, NBA official set. Twitter page I have it there if you want to look up what we're talking about reference wise cool 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 and that's at NBA official on Twitter so there are three things they focus on there is the jump shooters kick where somebody will jump in the air you know a guy's like Devin Booker uh, I think was one of the people they highlighted for this where they will kick their leg out at an unnatural angle that can now be viewed as an offensive foul. The hooking with the arm as you drive, that can now be viewed as an offensive foul. Uh, obviously, these are dependent on specific circumstances, and not everyone will go the way you want it to or I want it to. But And then the third is going to be the way people jump in a unnatural direction just on their jump shots, to force contact with the defender who otherwise would not have made contact with them. Uh, the only thing that won't be changing is the player's ability to stop offensive players as they're driving. You know, you can reach the restricted zone and stop or the free throw line and stop. And if somebody runs into you, that's still a foul. But overall, uh, Zach, do you feel like these are good changes? Yes, 100%. I think it was something that made basketball feel very choppy was just that you could, and almost like a bailout play, which is when nothing was working, just jump into a guy and shoot. You're going to get a foul. Yeah. And it was like, that sucks. That makes the game choppy. It doesn't feel natural at all. So I, I love the fact that they're ad- addressing this, making it possible to defend. Like, it's like, okay, well, now we can play defense again because we don't yeah. have to stop seven feet away from them so they don't jump into me for a foul. I think that's a big it's a big change i i hope they actually stick to it it's not just something they say so that's I mean, that's what i'm looking for in preseason too yeah i think they'll be trying uh peter do you a do you like these changes and b do you feel like anyone comes to mind either as a team or as an individual player as a winner and loser with these rule changes um I mean, I do like the changes. I, I don't know if I've seen any takes anywhere that anybody doesn't. I'm just a lot more skeptical of it actually following through. So mm-hmm. I'm a much more wait-and-see approach on this one. You know, if, if it ends up happening, great. 
But superstars are still going to get calls. Like, they've been getting calls ever since they've been watching basketball. So, you, you think know. Luca's still going to flop? Of course. He's going to try. I mean, <laughs> He's going to try. Blood. So, yeah. I mean, that's just that's just going to happen. Flops are still going to happen. Referees are going to get duped. Bad calls are going to be made. And then, you know, everyone, I guess they're still keeping the coaches challenge, right? So one time a game, you can, you can go to replay on that kind of stuff. But uh, if they cut down on it, you know, a little bit, that'll be a good thing. Um, I, Cause there are definitely times when you can tell a guy isn't even trying to shoot. My least favorite one is the, is when, the guy, the point guard either has the ball or doesn't have the ball, and he's coming, he's running around the screen on the perimeter, and the guy's trying mm-hmm. to trail him because he's a good shooter. Like this, this happens to Dame all the time. Going going and he over the stops screen. and you like barely run into him, and then he jumps up and like kicks his forward and like throws the ball towards the basket. Right. And I'm like, if the defender was another foot behind you, you would have just looked really stupid on that play. So to me, that that's not natural at all. That's not basketball, right? That's just like I'm trying to get the call here. Right. Now, if you if you pump fake and they jump and you jump into a guy, I'm usually okay with that being a foul because it's like I was taught never to leave my feet until the offensive player does. So if you leave your feet, that's on you. Um, and then I also I like the rule change they put in years ago about, you know, when Kawhi got hurt on that Zaza play mm-hmm. where he closed out real hard on him and put his foot under him. You know, they gotta they gotta take that, they gotta keep that out. But the one the one that bothers me just a little bit is like there's a play last year where Michael Porter catches the ball and he's fading away and he shoots a three and they call a foul. And we all thought it was a four point play, and then they called offense foul. And I was like, Yeah, he his legs went forward from where he jumped, but it was mm-hmm. a natural motion. I didn't feel like he was purposely sticking his mm-hmm. legs out to gain an advantage. It was just, to me, it should have been a no call. And that's actually what I would like to see a lot more on these is no calls. And I think that's what's going to happen if they implement the rule changes. It's not going to be an offensive foul. Because to me, it's like if you have the ball and you're trying to shoot and you like touch a guy a little bit, to me, that's not an offensive foul. That's play on. So I would just like to see a lot more play ons and then, you know, really speed up the game flow. Because I think that's another thing that casual fans have really not liked about the NBA is how long the last two minutes take. I 100% agree there. I think, well, it's what I'm saying. It kind of feels choppy. So if you let them play on, and I mean, your point about Michael Porter, I'm like, I don't know if you guys have ever tried shooting a fadeaway without kicking out. I've never done it. It don't don't happen. He just happens to be 6'10. It's physics, right? Yeah. So I'm like, Michael Porter's jump shot is naturally a little bit faded. That's another part of being six foot ten. Why that shot's unblockable is he fades away a little bit. So it's like he's gonna kick out a little bit. That's his natural jumper. I don't. Why is that a foul? Why are you calling That's it on a, him? I thought that was a really interesting point because one person I thought of that would be a big incidental casualty of this was a uh, Jay Crowder. Have you guys seen his mm-hmm. natural three point shot? He always ends up about two feet in front of the line. So then I'm, I'm mm-hmm. wondering, are they going to call that you jumped into the defender? And like, he flops plenty too. He does. Plenty he falls of down well. every Most time players he do on purpose. But <laughs> have you seen him in, shoot a wide time. open three? Yeah. He's, he ends up three feet in front of the line every time. So I'm really interested to see how the refs look at that. When, when it is a guy who do you just have to know that that's his jump shot or is it, Hey, you jumped into a guy. That'll be interesting. That's uh, where the play on part stays. I think. Right, I agree. I'll be curious as to who adjusts the quickest. 
if that makes sense, where obviously Chris Paul is going to adjust really quickly to whatever role changes are happening, and he's going to know the best ways to approach every situation from a refereeing perspective. But Ray, guys, what are you doing? That, we, don't, we don't like to give Chris Paul credit on this podcast. <laughs> I can't. I don't hate Chris Paul. Uh, I know. I know it's hard. <laughs> I know. Ray, I think there are going to be other now. players. <laughs> Things are different. Things are different. You know, I think there are going to be other players. Measured Nuggets who... fan anymore. Fully biased now. Well, mm-hmm. Bo Bo is going to get another contract in Denver. So. <laughs> there you go. He just bought into that uh, real quick. See, I'm just trying to give keep you in good graces with the diehards. Thank you. Good. Okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, that's just something I believe. So, yeah. Guys who maybe uh, I'm thinking about. Luca, I'm thinking about James Harden. I'm thinking about Nicola. Are they going to adjust quickly to these new rule changes in such a way that they also are continuing to like toe whatever the line might be? You know, how many times is Nicola going to be called for that hooking foul? How many times are is Luca going to be called, uh, or even just is he going to just not get the free throws? That I mean, he already feels like he doesn't get enough free throws, but is he not going to get the free throws that he's used to getting given, you know, the different approach that he'll have to take? And can that make him a better player? I, I think that would be really interesting where, you know, is it this incentive structure now where players can think a little bit less about drawing a foul and think a little bit more about just scoring? Because uh, I think some players are going to thrive and some players are going to improve through these, this challenge. But I think at the same time, we're going to look at some guys like, hey, why are you still doing this? I think there's going to be a lot of players that are just as skeptical as Peter that it's actually going to be enforced. And they're going to try to continue doing it and just kind of say, OK, you can you cannot call these for the first month and we'll see if you're still calling it after two months or three mm-hmm. months. That's true. Right. Because the important thing to remember, too, is all the refs are human, right? It's like you can write down a rule and say something's different. Like, you know, don't drive uh, 50 miles an hour here anymore. It's a 35 now. Well, if you've been going on that road for years and years and years, you're naturally just going to be like, oh, my bad. I didn't know I was speeding. You know, it's like these refs have to train themselves to now look at it differently than they've been doing it for a while. That's the thing about officiating in general. Like, they just added more judgment to a referee, you know, and there's only so many rules. I mean, baseball, I, I always, whenever I'm talking about officiating, go back to baseball because it's so mm-hmm. incremented. Yeah. So it's like a strike zone. You have a set strike zone, but an umpire has his own set strike zone within the parameters of the strike zone. Or, you know, and then you have your rules that are flat up, like getting hit, like getting Could hit on the a shot. Talk a little bit more about that. What exactly do you feel like? differentiates the player and the umpire strike zone so as someone that the, doesn't isn't as yeah. baseball oriented so when you look at the rule book it has a set place where the strike zone is mm-hmm. so it's the 17 inches the width of the home plate and then from the bottom of the knee to the belly button or like the bottom of the sternum that kind of whole I area i thought it was to the armpits or is that just little that's league? I, I thought it was like elbows. All, okay when you get to little league it's basically no if you can hit it swing because they're just not going to swing. I call chalk to chalk when I'm umpiring Little League. It's If it's mm-hmm. inside that batter's box, better swing because I'm calling it. But when you talk, that's like the official rule is plate width, which is 17 inches, and then bottom of the knees to belly button. 
Lighter my umpires, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of area where it's like belly buttons, where it shrinks a little bit in high school, but when you're in the youth leagues, it's bottom of the letters, the sternum area. When you talk to umpires, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to favor the inside a little bit because I get a better angle on it based on where I'm standing. So it's not exactly that same box. It's almost trapezoidal almost. And really? what they can see and what they can't see. That like low, I'll tell you this. I've been umpiring for four years and low and away kills me every time. So I'm like, mm. low's already hard to tell because I'm looking down on it. Mm-hmm. In a way, I have to look sideways. So I don't have a perfect angle on it to see if it's actually within what a set strike zone would be. So it's almost trapezoidal where it starts, I can see that high and away, but it cuts down inside and what I get a good angle on as far as low and away goes. So mm. it's a little tricky. Right, because like the that. strike zone is it's the front of the plate, right? It doesn't matter where the batter stands. It's where did the ball cross the plate at the front. The, the strike zone is three-dimensional. That's the thing that's fascinating is you can have oh. a curveball that starts on the inside corner and then curves out. It's still a strike. It can start outside of the zone. So if it goes around the plate, that's back. still a strike? Mm-hmm. Oh. It's, hmm. a weird, it's weird and very complicated. So when you talk about umpires sucking with their strike zone, it's not exactly as black and white as they say. Okay, so that actually makes a lot more sense now of like why hitters argue strike calls all the time mm-hmm. because to them, if it's outside, but the umpire's got the different angle of that ball curve back, now there's a debate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm. and that it's that's what's super objective about it and why I have a problem with – why I have issues with those conversations is like, yeah, you can add robots to it. And that's fine, but like – it's a super objective thing. That's the same thing you got here. Like you have rules written down for what is and what isn't or foul, but yeah, what you don't, what you have is a referee objectivity and subjectivity. What did they see versus what's actually the rule? Are they actually matching? Do they have a good angle on it? So for sure, that's where it's gonna be tough. You know. Well, and, and generally, I think part of what you were saying is refs generally don't want that subjectivity or they want less discretion. Mm-hmm. They want it to be clear cut. Right. Mm-hmm. And if this adds another layer that they don't want to get into those debates and arguments all the time, they just want it to be like, it was this or it was that. And and that's yeah. where it's going to be. It is going to get tough to, to really uphold some of these when they are such tight plays and it could go either way. And it's like, yeah, the defender hit you, but the offensive player jumped weird, but did he jump weird? Cause he was trying to hit a weird angle. What they're, there's too many it's questions. just all those arguments you don't want to get into. So I think that's why Peter having that fear almost of implementation is fair. It's just like, yeah. do refs really want that kind of heat? Yeah, I, I mean, the refs, we, we see this all the time, right? There's 82 games. Every game is ref differently, right? Sometimes they let them play. For sure. Sometimes they call everything because they don't want it to get out of hand and, you know, have the teams fight, which is smart. Mm-hmm. Um. But it can also ruin the game. I remember watching the national championship a few years ago, Gonzaga in North Carolina. They called everything. Zach Collins fouled out in like eight minutes of real game time. Stupid. He still does that. But by the, way. By the book, they're calling <laughs> real fouls, right? So it's like nice. I mean, wow. Yeah. I, I, so, but Ray, back to your earlier question about is it going to help or hurt Nicola and the Nuggets? I think what's interesting is if you if you look at basketball as a whole the smartest players are always adjust, right? So I, I yeah. do think there will be some early growing pains, as there always are with any rule change. So mm-hmm. he will get called for some offensive fouls, and he'll adjust, and he won't get called for them as much. Uh, I think what some of the other guys in Nuggets Podverse have pointed out is this could really help the Nuggets on defense because, you know, if you look at that Sun series, the Nuggets gave up on playing – 
uh, you know, those pick and roll coverages because they're like, it's just too fast. Like, Jokic can't cover that much ground. We're just going to have to drop him, you know, and he doesn't like drop. But, you know, if you're playing up at the level of the screen and they call a foul on everything, he he can't really do much. So if if you let the defense get a little more leeway now, I think it helps, you know, a team be more aggressive. And another thing I was thinking about earlier today before we came on the pod was, would it benefit a team to maybe play more aggressive style defense in general just with the thinking that even if they call more fouls on you once you get to the playoffs they don't call as many fouls right like we've been saying this about James Harden and like to a lesser extent Lou Williams for years it's like oh that's not going to work in the playoffs you know so maybe I wonder if 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 being a little more aggressive now would kind of help a team be ready for like not getting calls once you're in the, the real serious games well, and it, oh. it could be similar to that Lakers series where you just establish the tone of this is how physical we're going to play. Call it every time or don't. Because they were super physical right. with us, yeah. I like that a lot as a just a general, I mean, even before this, as like a general philosophy, just for the kind of the reasons that you stated, Jared, is that you're kind of setting an expectation for how the game is going to be refereed. And even if you have to dial it back somewhat, I think where the line is more likely to land is just going to be more in your favor. So it would definitely be something that I'd like to see as far as the Nuggets go in terms of defense and how aggressive they can be in terms of their on-ball coverage. Because Nikola, he does excel, you know, putting two on the ball or at least him playing at the level because he has great hands and he's smart enough to know whether he can get there or not uh, in terms of maybe that hedge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's just a really smart player with a lot of length and, and that, can bother a lot of guys. And in that way, I think Nicola can kind of, you know, people talk a lot about him being a terrible defender, who about he, you know, can't defend his way, defend a wet paper bag or something like that. And I, I don't know if I buy into that to the extent that, like, yeah, he is not the fastest player on the court, but that's also true of almost every center in the league. Uh, and I think of all those guys, I think he, really is a positive impact defensively just not in the flashy ways that say like a javel mcgee might be okay you can say like oh that's rim protection that's what rim protection looks like he just blocked two shots you know well maybe he wasn't always in the great position that nicola would be in uh and maybe nicola doesn't get blocks but he gets steals you know and And he's a good rebounder that's part of defense right people never factor that in yeah exactly the other thing you think is steals are probably better than blocks in a way of like, yeah, you save two points, but one, it wasn't a guarantee to go in. And two, it's not a guarantee you get the ball. A steal, mm-hmm. it's a guarantee you get the ball. That's what a steal is. And you get on the fast break. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah. So, so I... Yoke's fascinating. Yeah. Because he's not a good one-on-one defender necessarily just because he's not mm-hmm. super quick. He's not super agile. But he's a great team defender. I don't mean that to mean right. like an elite he knows defender. Where to be. But yeah, he's mm-hmm. his his positioning's almost always in the right spot. And he's and his hands are great. He can be fill a passing lane. He can help out on those screens. He can do a lot of different things just because he's super cerebral. And his hands are elite right. to fill with that in. So it's like, no, he's not gonna block a million shots, but his hands are gonna be in passing lanes, he's gonna get deflections, he's gonna get steals. And he certainly doesn't get bullied by like other bigs you know that's not something you're going to see happen right and we don't i don't think we need to be a top five defense to be championship caliber i think we just need to be top 15 top 12 Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it it's uh, it's inversely proportional. Where like, if you're the number one offense, you probably only need to be twelve. If you're the number five offense, you probably want to be eighth defensively. That would be nice. Right. But um, I think I still work think out. they have decent defensive upside, right? I mean, especially I know you love that lineup with PJ in there for Monte. Mm-hmm. So that gives you a lot of length and a lot of switchability. Yeah, What's I agree. A good defensive lineup. The bench. Well, no. I'm just kidding. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But of all the players, I think it's got to be. I mean, are we saying Nicola is still on the floor? No, I'm, I think what Zach, I think what you're saying is like five seconds. seconds sorry, <laughs> five seconds left. Nuggets are up two. What five are we putting out there? I think I'd go still Jokic at center. I'd probably get Jeff Green out there for MPJ, Aaron Gordon with PJ Dozier and Jamal Murray once he's healthy. Could you swap Murray for like Faku and Jokic for say Jamichael Green? Faku gets some passing. I think you could. I actually. I think you could make those. I think you could make those swaps situationally, but you'd have to be really careful with with where they're going to be able to be. I don't think uh, Jokic gets subbed out anymore. He's just too smart. You know, you need at least one big body in there. See, I want to go big. Like I would put Bull Bull in there. I'd like the four, just because if you want, if a guy gets into the lane, he's going to block that shot. Yeah, or you can put him on the ball, like on the passer. Mm-hmm. I just be too worried we give. We, I just be too worried we give up an open three. Yeah, I mean it's tough because I, mean, yeah. I would. I think you look at Nicole and you say, okay, there's your brain right there. He's the brain that will kind of get this let's, defense let's position get right. Some length. Yeah, I I think Zeke Naji could be in there though. I think he's got a lot of upside yeah. to him. We saw it against LeBron on Valentine's Day. We've seen it. In spurts, we just haven't seen him a ton. You get Aaron Gordon in there. That's a lot of size that you have at your 5-4-3. and three. Then you put a P.J. Dozier in there. And then, honestly, it's between Faku and um, Austin Rivers. I think both guys showed a lot of defensive upside. And I think Faku's more of your irritant, but Rivers gives you a little more of that length. But they're both guys that just get in passing lanes. Yeah. I would be uh, extremely psyched if either – Zeke, Vlatko, or Bones made any type of like significant impact this season. That would be amazing. I'm a I'm a Vlatko guy. I think if we put him in a rotation, yes. I think it will work. <laughs> yes, I like Vlatko too. I think he's, he's just kind of a seamless fit. Peter's having he's a ninth over here just for it's he's an not, audio format, so I need to convey he's not that a, he's he's struggling. He's not a sixth man, but he's like a tenth man. Yeah, elite like, elite tenth man. He's like a tenth he, man guy where if you put elite. him in a rotation, he won't help you a ton but he certainly won't kill you he fits in he shoots when he's supposed to he passes when he's supposed to he dribbles when he's supposed to he doesn't do anything ridiculous uh and I he doesn't do anything like well a... it's so okay <laughs> he, he doesn't do anything great like he does a lot of things fine but he doesn't have anything he hangs his hat on i think that's where like when you look at he's, bones he's, you say, okay, he's, he's good at shooter. hustling he's a good decision maker Elite, elite gains, elite gains, elite, elite uh, clapper and teammate. <laughs> yes, yes, I love I it. He, I'm like I'm a guy who's I'm not looking for you know an elite player, but if he's your tenth guy, I don't think he kills you. 
I'm not. Oh no, I love him as a guy that doesn't play. I love him as a tenth <laughs> guy who can fit in his regular season rotation, not a playoff rotation. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, there's one guy actually I wouldn't mind as just like a final before we head out of here. Uh, we mentioned Zeke Naji. What do you do? You, have you guys, uh, Peter? Like, have has your opinion changed on Naji since the uh, since summer league or no? Do you do you still feel? Well, I don't know how you did feel then, but I mean, do you I'd still be lying feel the same? If I said I wasn't disappointed in Zeke Naji in summer league, but it also isn't really surprising, right? Because I mean. The team was built around bowl for summer league. I feel like, plus mm-hmm. those other guys, like you can't blame them. It's summer league. They're trying to get contracts. They're trying to get seen. Nobody's worried about like, well, let's get Zeke going. You know, like it's just a hard environment for his position of player to thrive. Um, he was cold. He, you know, his shooting was bad. You know, that was rough. But luckily, it was a two week stretch. I don't think I saw him hanging his head. I don't think he was sulking. I, he seems like a, a good guy that is working hard and. You know, Malone likes him. The team is still like him. I don't. I don't feel like that experience is anybody's looking at him like, oh, this guy doesn't have it. You know, I do think there's going to be plenty of chances for him this year to get in the rotation, and uh, you know, make an impact. He might be out of the rotation to start the season, but it's a long season. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be back to backs. Um, you know, and 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 the the nice thing is like you know that he's not a selfish player. He's not the type that's going to get in there and be like, I want mine. He's going to set screens, rebound, and shoot when he's open. So Malone is going to like him. Uh, Zach, do you feel like he's a small forward? I, it's so hard. I think he has the ability to play there, but no, he's a four primarily. I'd put him at the four where you're playing four out offense, so you kind of just stick him in the corner. But he's got the physicality to play against fours on defense, and I think that's where he'd fit best. That's interesting. I I have a hard time seeing him in an NBA rotation unless he gets to a point where he can be considered a small forward. I mean, I know he has played a lot of center in his career. I know he mostly plays the four. I just have I think it's mainly, you know, when looking at him playing one of the big positions maybe i'm just an old man in the sense that like i don't think he's big enough but i Ray, can you explain his... this to me uh, are you envisioning like him as a three next to Jokic, and you're having aaron gordon at the four in this scenario i, I don't really understand i think he kind of a three and a half uh like a wilson chandler where he can he doesn't have to do a lot offensively Okay. Uh, where he can play the three defensively at the very least and be a solid shooter. Uh, I just don't see him being the rebounder or rim protection that you would want, even from a four. Uh, and almost certainly not the five. I mean, yes, you can say we can, in theory, and of course I could be wrong, but just depending on how it turns out, uh, say he's a five and play small and you know maybe you can run up and down the court and he can fit in in that sense but I think you just also have a lot of options there that would be equally good if not better uh, yeah Z gives me such Paul Millsap vibes like Paul Millsap when he came to Denver where he's not this uber guy athletic guy who's going to bully ball you in the post but he can beat you in the perimeter he's got a little bit of savvy to his game so I think you can play him at the four if you're playing more like Paul Millsap did when he came to Denver rather than like early years Paul Millsap. Just minus the post-ups. Yeah. Maybe. 
can't yeah, I don't know if this is I don't know if this is a real term, but uh I'm gonna make it up now. He's kinda like uh we've been talking about three and D guys for years. He's like a four and D guy, right? Because to me, he's just he's not he doesn't get low enough. Like he's not gonna be quick enough to contain a perimeter consistently and he can't dribble. So to me, he's not a three at all, but he can be that like stretch four that just he's just in there to rebound, play defense, and shoot threes as a taller guy. And mm-hmm. I think that's what he's going to do. I mean, yeah, he'll still set some picks and roll the basket too, but I, I think he's more of a four or five. I would just have to see him rebound the ball better uh, before I feel Fair. comfortable with that. But I mean, he has time, you know, it's not a, it's, I mean, it's, it's a skill, but you can learn it and it doesn't always have to be about size, you know, just being able to box out your man in a way where you can, you know, have leverage and, and work from there. Well, and you can that, fix that. You can cover that up in flexible lineups, right? Like if he's playing with Jokic and with Porter, then he's mm-hmm. he's the third best rebounder. But he the rebounding should be fine. Doesn't really need fourth it. best yeah. if you put Will Barton in that lineup too, because Will <laughs> yeah. Barton's a very good rebounder. Yeah, um, yeah, he's six six with a six ten wingspan, and he's not afraid to get in there because you know he loves to pad the mm-hmm. stats. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cool, cool. Well, this has been a great episode. We appreciate you having you on, Zach. Before we head out, did you have any parting shots for us? Any hot takes about this coming season? Or even, or even, you know, they don't have to be that hot. You can, you can, this, this is a comfortable space. I think Michael Porter's. I think that's where I'm sitting right now. I think he's got this opportunity as the number two guy on a championship caliber team. Where if he can take advantage of this opportunity, being an all-star shouldn't be too far out of the question. I think it's on the table, depending on the seating, of course, whether you get one or two all-stars. But I think it's definitely on the table. Uh, Peter, do you have any any parting parting shots for us? Uh, no, thanks for coming on, Zach. I'm sure I'm sure you'll be back, and we'll have more good Nuggets things to talk about. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah, it was a blast. Had a good time with y'all. Yeah, Thanks. cool, cool. Well, we appreciate you giving us a listen. You can find us on Spotify. We each have Twitter accounts that we should start sharing. We will continue <laughs> to do that. I am at Solar Rays on Twitter. Uh, I know Peter is at Bucket since eighty eight. Zach, do you have a Twitter you'd like to uh, plug? Yeah, so my Twitter is just my name at Zach Gottlieb. Z a c h g o t l i e b. Nice. Give him a follow. He's fun. He talks about the Nuggets. I talk about the Nuggets. You should follow both of us. Uh, Jared, can you be found on Twitter yet? Or are you uh, still? I'm still in the dark. I'm still in the You're dark. Still in the dark. That's okay. <laughs> You'll join it. You'll join us one day. All right. Uh, thanks for coming on, and we will see you next week. <laughs>